Welcome to the Food for Your Soul podcast, where we apply the Word of God to the hearts of men and women to stoke the fires of your delight in Christ. Here's your host, Dr. D. Richard Ferguson. Life is not fair. It doesn't matter how many times your dad told you that growing up, when injustice happens to you, it's still hard to take. It just roils your emotions, doesn't it? What should you do with that inner turmoil when people treat you unfairly and there's nothing you can do about it? Think back for a moment to the last time when you received some injustice or someone you loved was being treated really unfairly, just something just really wrong, and there was nothing you could do about it. You're powerless. If you haven't ever gone through that um, in something major, it's hard to even describe the feelings that it causes. It's, it's a special kind of anxiety, isn't it? I mean, it's, 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 it's a mix of anger and distress and fear and indignation and outrage and self-pity and urgency and all of that jumbled together, just a host of painful emotions mixed together in such a way that just dominates your thinking and, and your feeling. It's one of the most distracting emotions you'll, you'll ever experience. I mean, you can, it'll, it'll go into the front of your thinking and you can try to push those thoughts away and three seconds later, boom, they're right back. It just, it just dominates. Um, there's a word for that. There's a word for that kind of feeling. When you're, when, when you have that, that anger and distress and fear and urgency and all the rest all mixed together when you're suffering injustice, the word that the Bible uses to describe all that is fretting. Fretting. And Scripture commands us, don't do it. Uh, Psalm 37.1, do not fret because of evil men or be envious of those who do wrong. Actually, that whole Psalm 37 is all about fretting. If you're, if you're dealing with that, you've got a problem like that in your life, uh, you're going to want to spend a lot of time in Psalm 37 because that's exactly what that's about. But you might also spend some time in James 5 because that's what James is talking about here at the beginning of chapter 5. James is going to teach us how to replace fretting with patience. Um, just like in chapter one, when he talked to us about, uh, about patience and persevering in suffering, he's going to get—he's coming right back to that topic now again. If you haven't been here through our whole study, James um, begins and ends with talking about persevering through suffering. It's a suffering sandwich. Okay, so the, uh, the, the chapter one he starts. And I think we have a graphic. If we could move move to the slide, there it is. So, so chapter one, persevere in suffering. Chapter five, persevere in suffering. And then in between, the meat of the sandwich in between is all about true religion, which has three parts. Showing love, controlling the tongue, and avoiding worldliness. Uh, Showing love, chapter 2. Controlling the tongue, chapter 3. Avoid worldliness, chapter 4. That's the structure of the book of James. And in our study through James, we're just now beginning that second piece of bread. We're just getting into chapter 5, and James is going to go back to encouraging us in the midst of suffering. And some of you are probably sitting there thinking, Daryl, were you here when Joel did the scripture reading? Because uh, that didn't sound like encouragement. You know, those words, I mean, these verses 1 to 6, it's uh, not very encouraging. It's, it's just a rebuke. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. This judgment is coming. It's going to eat your flesh like fire. And it's just all these indictments and judgments and... And that's true. It is. It's. Uh, I mean, I can't deny the fact that these first six verses 
They're just being threatened with severe judgment. And it's not even a call to repentance, like in chapter 4, where he said, weep in repentance. Here, he's not even, he's just pronouncing doom. Just cry because you're doomed. The word wail, it has to do with volume. It talks about the shrieking and the screaming that comes when someone is in intense agony. And James is saying, if you just knew the punishment that you're about to face, if you knew what Jesus Christ is going to do to you on Judgment Day, you would be screaming right now in agony. So how is that encouraging? What is encouraging about that? Well, here's what we need to do. We need to figure out why James is saying what he's saying here. What's his purpose? What's he trying to accomplish? And we know, if we want to know his purpose, it's not hard. All you have to do is is find the word therefore. Just find the word therefore, and then you can see the conclusion that he draws. And there it is, right there in verse 7. Beginning of verse 7, he says, Therefore, my brothers, and here's the conclusion, therefore, be patient until the Lord's coming. So that's the purpose of the passage. And at first you see that, like, uh, how does that logically follow? Weep and wail because you're going to hell, therefore be patient? What does that mean? How, how does that make any sense? It actually makes perfect sense when you understand that James is talking here to two different groups of people. The, he's not talking, the, those, those people in verses 1 to 6, he's not talking to you in verses 1 to 6. He starts talking to you in verse 7. In verses 1 to 6, he's talking to those people who are hurting you. Those people who are, who are being unjust towards you, who are mistreating you. He's talking to them in verses 1 to 6. Then in verse 7, he turns to the brothers. He says, therefore, brothers, you be patient. Turn back just to chapter 2 for a second. Um, we can remind ourselves what was actually happening in, uh, for these people that James is writing to. James is writing to Christians, poor Christians, who are being oppressed by uh, some, some wealthy class, some evil people in the wealthy class. And um, we can see what they were doing there in verse 6, James 2, 6, where he says, Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him to whom you belong? So, so in that culture, um, that, was a, that was a desperate situation to be in. The wealthy class could bring a lawsuit against you. They could drag you into court. But if you're in the poor class, the poor class, a poor person was not allowed to bring a lawsuit, initiate a lawsuit against a, someone in a higher class. So if you're these people, you're out of luck. If you're poor and they just don't give you your paycheck for whatever reason, you're just out of luck. There's nothing you can do. No recourse. And that's what these people were suffering. So so you go back to chapter 5. What he's saying in chapter 5, he's, t- he's looking to these people that are being oppressed and, and he's saying, look, just brothers, just hang in there a little longer. Just hang in there until the Lord comes. Pretty soon Jesus is going to come back. He's going to answer your cries for help and punish these people who are doing this to you. Look at verse 4. He says, Look, the wages you failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters, that's you, the people being mistreated, have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. This is an encouragement. Those harvesters, that's the Christians, that's the people being mistreated, the people reading the book of James, and they're being taken advantage of and treated unfairly by their employers, and they're crying out to God for justice, and he's saying, those cries are being heard. So, your prayers are being heard, and that's what this passage is about. So, so once we understand that background, this passage just explodes with meaning. In fact, I would suggest this passage has no less than four purposes. Uh, The primary purpose is to encourage you, the people that are being mistreated and oppressed. 
That's the main purpose. We know that because of the conclusion he draws in verse 7. A second purpose that's implied is to warn the ones doing the oppression. And that's that's all the pronouncement of judgment. They're not... Obviously, they're not going to be in church to hear this letter read, but we can take this message to them, right? We can preach this to them, and that's part of preaching the gospel, isn't it? The the warning about threats of judgment that are coming. We need to let the unbelievers know that, that they're facing doom if they don't repent. And so that's part of preaching the gospel. Uh, so part of, it, part of the purpose is to warn them. A third implied purpose, I believe, is to warn us, the people being oppressed, not to imitate the people who are oppressing us. Don't do the very same things they're doing when you have the power. And that was actually a problem with these people. Again, back in chapter 2, you might remember, the Christians, what were they doing? They were showing favoritism. And they were mistreating the poor and showing favoritism to the rich. And James says, hey, that's the same thing the rich are doing to you and you don't like it, why are you doing it? You know, so, so there's always a danger that we, uh, w- when we're mistreated by someone, that when we get the power, we do the same thing. So we need to take these warnings to heart. When we read these warnings this morning, we need to take these warnings to heart so that we don't end up committing these very same sins. And then finally, um, passages in Scripture that point to the coming misery of the ungodly are, have the purpose of teaching us not to envy them. Don't envy them. They're not an enviable situation. From a temporal standpoint, it seems like they've got it made and we're in trouble. But from an eternal standpoint, they're in a pitiable condition. We're in the enviable position, right? And we need to be reminded of that again and again. That's, there's a whole psalm about that too. Psalm 73 is all about that. So that's the four-part message of this passage. Uh, when somebody is mistreating you, just remember four things. Number one, God will make, th- make it right. He will make it right. He will come and punish them and reward you if you're patient. So, so that's number one. Number two, therefore, don't get discouraged. Don't fret. Don't get upset. Don't get worked up. Number three, don't envy them because they're not in a good position. They're doomed. You're, you're on your way to glory. And number four, whatever you do, don't imitate them. Don't behave like them. When you've been mistreated by people who are stronger than you and they have the power... Again, there's this temptation to, to act in kind, right? To, 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 you know, somebody hurts you and you turn around and hurt someone else. You're, you're a kid and your parents are mean to you and you just, you know, you kick the dog or something. You, you, or or, or you, your older sibling is unfair to you, so you mistreat your younger sibling or something. There's, there's a, or someone's mistreating you and then finally things, the tables are turned and you have the upper hand, now you give them a taste of their own medicine. This is what we're prone to. And what James is saying is, look, if their sin is so horrible and so wicked when it's done to you, then it's horrible and wicked. Don't do it to someone else. So those are the points. When people mistreat you, don't fret, don't envy, and don't imitate. Is there someone in a position of power who is mistreating you? You might be worked up about politicians in Washington, D.C. who are passing oppressive laws. Maybe it's your boss treating you unfairly. It might be your spouse withholding intimacy or using some other tactic to manipulate you. Remind yourself of these four principles. First, if you respond in a godly way, God will deal with that person at the right time, and he will reward you. Take a moment to express your belief in that promise right now. When you put it into words and verbalize it, that helps you believe it more strongly. Say, God, I believe that you will make this right. You'll deal with that person, and you'll reward me if I respond in a way that pleases you.
Now check your heart. Are you worked up, fretting as though you didn't have a God who promised to take care of situations like this? Are you envious of that person who has all that power or wealth? And are there any ways in which you're imitating that person in the way that you treat people less powerful than you? Be as honest as you can with yourself. Father, teach me not to fret because of evil men or be envious of those who do wrong. For like grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Teach me to trust in you and to do good, to dwell in the space you've given me and enjoy it. Show me how to delight myself in you, knowing you will give me the desires of my heart. Father, I commit my way to you. I know if I trust you, you will make my righteousness shine like the dawn, the justice of my cause like the noonday sun. Teach me to be still before you and wait patiently for you. I won't fret when men succeed in their evil ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. I'll refrain from anger and turn from wrath. For evil men will be cut off, but those who hope in you will inherit everything. A little while, and the wicked will be no more. They'll be gone. But the meek will inherit your kingdom and enjoy great peace. Better the little that I have than the wealth of many wicked. For the power of the wicked will be broken, but you uphold the righteous. My days are known to you, and my inheritance will endure forever. In times of disaster, I will not wither. In days of famine, I will enjoy plenty. Thank you for listening. If you found today's episode edifying, why not share it with a friend? This season of the Food for Your Soul podcast features excerpts from our sermon series on the book of James. 50 expository sermons covering every verse. You can find those and hundreds of other sermons for free download on drichardferguson.com. And if you like listening on your phone, get our free mobile app. Install the Church One app from the Play Store and select Food for Your Soul. Until next time, rejoice in the Lord always and set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God.